Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, my friend, and welcome. I'm Daryl Urbanski, and today I have something special for you. What you're about to hear today isn't part of what we usually do. Today, I'd like to spend some personal time with you and for us to get to know each other better. So to start, I'll be sharing some of my life stories with you, plus introducing you to some of the grandfathers of my business acumen. In fact, the next few weeks, I'll be introducing you to the grandfathers of my education, plus you're going to get select never-released recordings of people interviewing me where I give some of my best business and life advice ever. We all learn from various people, various people we know for various amounts of time. Some people we share just a single impactful moment together. Others, a full weekend. And some of us have people in our lives who have always been there, always guiding us, and always sharing our paths. Well, I would like to share some of these people who have guided me with you. Your life really can change based on the things you learn and the people you meet. So please enjoy this special series of classic and never-released recordings in this 10-part interview series. Enjoy. Hey, this is the very good Dr. Glenn Livingston, and I'm here with my evil twin, Sergeant Yoav Ezra. How are you, Yoav? Evil as usual. Yes, you are. (laughs) And and, um, we have a treat for you today. We have a really interesting biographical interview with um, someone who was a fan of mine for a very long time. First met him at a seminar and has done a lot of very cool things in his own right since then, worked with a lot of... Um, kind of high-end players, has his own podcast. This is um, Daryl Urbanski. Is it bestbusinesscoach.ca or .com? The CA for Canada or California. Okay. Bestbusinesscoach.ca. And Daryl, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm currently in the Philippines. We were chit-chatting about that a little bit. I'm just having a blast. Finally feel like I achieved a life milestone. I've read the Tao Te Ching when I was 18, and I got to go visit the Taoist temple for the first time in my life, so that was kind of a neat experience. And, oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was just, it was really cool. I mean, the Tao Te Ching, it's not really a religion, it's more of a philosophy, but that philosophy really influenced my life in a lot of different ways, just, you know, so I wouldn't over-celebrate my victories, and I wouldn't wallow in any failures or, or tough times, you know, because... Uh, anyone that's read it might know it's kind of that's where the yin yang comes from. So the idea is that one extreme kind of turns into the other. Anyway, it's just a, it's just yeah, it's just a cool. It was just a cool day that way to just be able to walk around the temple and just I don't know, just just sit in it. It was just neat. That, that's really interesting. And so that do you feel like that philosophy has influenced your business success? Well, definitely. And you know, it's funny because uh, there's actually even a Kanye West song which I regret to be quoting Kanye West, not because just rather be like Socrates and Aristotle, but he has a song <laughs> where the lyric is, everything I'm not made me everything I am. And I think that that's really played a lot into my life. I was, um, I guess it's supposed to be biography, uh, biography. So, I mean, I was an orphan. And so I spent a lot of my early years, if anyone's read the book, Dr. Seuss or You, My Mother, I didn't know it, but I was really kind of wandering 
looking for myself and my roots and all that. So I was, I, you know, I didn't know. I just knew something was different as a kid. And then when I was about 10, my then step-adopted dad told me on a trip to Sudbury. He was like, hey, you know, if we drove two hours that way, we would go to Char- We would be at Charles gravesite your mom's first husband I was like yeah and he's like you know that's not your real father right and I was like well he's not and I'm like well who is he's like we're not we're not really sure you know you were you were adopted and I was like oh and I remember when we got we were going I called I click called my best friend at the time Justin I was like Justin I'm, I'm adopted what what does that mean like I was just like I was 10 years old I was like <laughs> like does am I are they gonna leave me here like is this was like oh, like, no. I, like I had oh. no idea what any of it meant and it was just really confusing you know so to speak so anyways in that way the doubt I feel like that really in some ways almost made me feel I don't know if about good about it but it just was kind of I feel in a lot of ways yeah everything I'm not made me everything I am by not knowing my roots and my origin it, it gave, and not by having roots it was free to travel. Like I've, you know, I spent three years in Japan and nine weeks in Africa and a month in Thailand and now three months in the Philippines. I've hitchhiked across Canada six times. I've been, you know, just with my step adopted dad for his work, spent six months in Australia, some time in New Zealand and Switzerland. Like I've just done a lot of traveling and not been afraid to like, I don't know, like I, not having roots has made it easy for me to go kind of wherever my calling has been. Hmm. Um, hmm. So anyways, yeah, in that way, it's just been, it's definitely helped as an entrepreneur too, because then you, you don't get kind of pigeonholed where, like I've got friends, it's like they do exactly what their parents did, and there's nothing wrong with that by any means, but I never had that, and I knew I was different, so it was very much like I, some people, they take the, maybe, my, I, what am I trying to say, I think I had a very direct path to like, I need to f- do that path of self-discovery, you know, personal development, like who am I, what am I capable of, where some people, hmm. they kind of grew up with a template of what they should expect I, from life. I, I, I grew up with a template, I came from a family of 17 psychologists and psychotherapists and I was supposed to be a country doctor and it was really painful to to break from that template and mm. I, I had to be willing to be the black sheep of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I understand what you're saying. But by the way, my introduction to the Tao was from a movie called The Tao of Steve. Have you ever seen that movie? No. Is this about Steve Jobs? No. No, it's a comedy mm. actually. Um, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, it was about a guy who... He figured out that he could seduce women by letting go of the outcome and, um, you know, being totally uninvested. It's a very interesting movie if you haven't seen. Right. But that's so true. It's so true. Um, Yeah. Just not being like and I think there's a benefit. I literally just read a passage um, because I'm traveling with with my girlfriend and I'm talking because she doesn't really know anything about it. But it was just this one passage and and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it was just kind of like this one thing was what was this? Right here, uh, she has but doesn't possess. Acts but doesn't expect. When her work is done, she forgets it. That's why it lasts forever. It's the ending paragraph of one. I mean, it was like has but doesn't possess. You know, there's that concept of like you know, from mice and men. I forget his name, but like he loved that little mouse so much he squeezed it and killed it. You know, and so he overloved it. And then even just acts but doesn't expect. That was the other thing because I have a very firm f- philosophy. I remember as a kid, I was looking out the window. And I saw some squirrels playing on my front parents' front lawn. And I remember thinking, I was like, you know, it was, this, it was like a Saturday. And I was watching cartoons or something. And I was like, you know, they don't really get a weekend, do they? Animals? And, like, it's just kind of something I kind of chewed on for a while. And I realized that, like, humans seem to be the only creatures on the planet that have luxury time. Like, time off. The rest, you know, every other creature on the planet, they spend their entire 
lives daily, waking up, foraging for food, fending off predators and looking for a mate. You know, like there's just no, there's no animal that's like, you know, I'm tired. I've worked so hard this week. If that predator comes around, I'm going to tell them to come (laughs) bug me on Monday when I'm back on, like they don't have that. So from that, from a young age, I kind of took the philosophy that they're, they're really like days off is like a, is like a, a man or human made thing that doesn't really exist. Like the sun doesn't stop rising. The wind doesn't stop blowing. So I've kind of taken this approach of no days off since I was a kid. And you, you still like, you need to rest. You burnt, I burnt out, you know, trial and error, but I really came down to at one point figuring out like, what would my perfect day look like? Like if I had to live, there's a movie groundhog day, this guy wakes up and has to relive the same day over and over and over. I was like, what would that be for me? Like if I had to live the exact same day over and over and over, like what would all my favorite things be? And to a certain extent, and it's not perfect every day, but it's like in my head, it's kind of like an ideal, you know, that I try to live to, to try to do all my favorite things every day. Um, at least if I, if I feel like, if what, I don't what, feel like, what is that? What, what does that look like? Sure. Well, my, that's, I've, it's a great question. So in my ideal day, I wake up early beside a beautiful woman who I love dearly and we make love. And then I get up and I have something to drink or something quick, you know, water or some like green smoothie or something, then either yoga, meditation, or some sort of activity exercise where then I come back, I sit down, I have a meal with my partner, and then I begin my day and I go to work and at my work the morning starts off reviewing our progress towards our goals and then any sort of planning that needs to be done happens then and then the afternoon is reserved for coaching and problem solving and then at around 3 or 4 p.m. I would leave, I would stop and do a jiu-jitsu class, I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's one of my passions and I would train and that's a way for me to get my social outlet in as well as be you know active as well plus it's like physical chess you know people that really love it that's what they describe it as it's physical chess when you play Brazilian jiu-jitsu so I love the strategy component to it I think that's really helped in business as well having a hobby that forced me to think strategically multiple times a day a week and even just I remember well hold on let me finish my perfect day So martial arts, and then I would come home to a house with a table full of of children and family and friends, and we would have a big meal together. And afterwards, after eating, either it would be the adults just socializing or working together on a project, or it would be kids' recitals or helping kids with homework. And then after that, maybe some a drink or two and some dancing with my girl and just, you know, just having fun with my friends and family around me and then making love again before I go to bed. And that kind of encompasses my perfect day, which doesn't have but, a 10-hour workday in it. I, I have to tell this joke because I've never heard a better setup for this joke sure, do ever. It. Do but it. It, it, it sounds like a perfect day, but um, there's this old couple and it, I think it's supposed to be told with a Jewish accent, but um, which I, I'm allowed <laughs> to do because, because I'm Jewish, but I don't do a good Jewish accent. Anyway, it's like Mora and Ira or something like that. And, and they're getting very old and they decide they've had, you know, 50 years together and they can't better be apart. And they say, you know, one of us is going to, one of us is going to die first and we have to find out what it's like after death. So let's just make a pact. Whoever, whoever dies first is going to find a way to have their ghost visit the other one and going to tell them exactly what it's like. What, what's the perfect day like in heaven? So and they say, okay, and it turns out that Ira dies first. And one day, you know, a couple of months later, uh, uh, Mora is lying in bed and she hears, Mora, Mora. She goes, Ira, is that you? She says, yes, it's me. Ira says, um, you know, we get up in the morning and then we make love. And then we run around these beautiful fields for a couple of hours and then we 
go back home and we make love. And then we run around the field some more and then we make love and then we make love again before we go to bed. <laughs> and, and, and Maury says, so that's what it's like in heaven? And Ira says, what heaven? I'm a bull in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's the whole job. <laughs> anyway, um, but, you know, I, I used to work with patients and have them set up the it's amazing how many people haven't done that for themselves and frankly i'm i used to go over that every morning and i haven't done that in a long time um but when you i always tell people if you don't know where you're going you're going to wind up someplace else and if you don't have a vision for yourself of what the perfect day is then how can you go about creating that and um daryl what i just wanted to get to for a moment before we go on with that is just tell us a little bit more about your business adventure and like what have you actually been doing and what did your business look like now and just so people get a sense of where you landed sure well i mean now uh most time when people might read my bios they say that i'm known for creating seven figure automated income streams from scratch um you know right now i do have the podcast we're pacing at about nine thousand downloads a month um which is big to some small to others but i've got a really tight-knit group of ceos marketers and entrepreneurs that follow me and I've got a few clients that are on retainer where I basically, I call a virtual VP of marketing where I work with their departments or their teams on strategy, on coaching and implementation, almost exactly like I described my perfect day there where the morning it's almost project management, looking at where we're at, what are the big obstacles in our way, and then coaching others or doing work myself or looking to recruit and then problem solving in the afternoon after that. I deal with a lot of information marketers, but it's not restricted exclusively. I do do some stuff with offline businesses. And to be honest, I get to kind of do what I want, when I want, where I want, with who I want, at the price I want, or I don't have to do it at all. Um, um, yeah, essentially. I mean, because most of my clients, my track record to date, uh, to, to shorten the story where things really get interesting. I mean, I did a lot of freelance stuff as a kid. I mentioned like, you know, shoveling driveways and lemonade stand and babysitting, you know, and a, a few different failed businesses, some freelance stuff, uh, teaching English in Japan as a freelance uh, consultant. I'm doing air quotes, but I was an English teacher and getting involved because I was a consultant, not a teacher in a variety of different things, working for Shinsei Bank and Johnson Johnson and Tokyo Electron. And then actually starting a couple of my own businesses and one which failed because nobody knew about it. And the other one was a martial arts school, which I grew to six figures. And I had a team of, uh, of instructors and a couple sales reps. And I could kind of come and go as I please with a, with a member. It was a membership-based business. And I found a lot of freedom and flexibility in that. And I got bored. And I decided I wanted to go back to Japan and do my favorite things from the three years that I lived there. So I did a, a launch. And uh, I generated about 300 leads for a $10,000 travel trip to a 30-day trip to Japan. Uh, where you know everything was taken care of except for their food, their kind of day-to-day expenditures, but any like tickets, their flight, all that. And I sold a handful of those. I got celebrity endorsements, got put in a couple of industry magazines, um, and I you know got to go to Japan for 30 days and get paid to do it. And I was on cloud nine. I wrote a few books, uh, short books. I call them business books for busy people, because a lot of the people that I was that were around me at the time, because I was investing heavily into going seminars like the one we met at, and coaching programs, and just I was I've been reading since I was two. That's I one of the things I prize. I have a baby book. My adopted mom started one, and apparently on my second birthday I got books, and I loved books, and I've just always loved books. I remember doing reading contests in early grades as a kid. And, um, you know, that all trans, that all took me to, 
really getting into marketing automation online um, specifically. And through networking, I ended up working for as marketing director for John Asaraf. It was an opportunity to work with people that I felt I could learn a lot from uh, in the martial arts school. I was just kind of getting bored. As an entrepreneur, I'm very much a starter. Uh, um, you know, uh, that first 80% is a piece of cake for me. That last 20% is pulling teeth. And so for me, I was really hungry for something new. That's even why. Like I had managers. I had sales reps. You know, I kind of didn't. You know, I could come and go as I please. That's why I did the trip to Japan. When I came right before I left, I launched a book. I got it to hit number one on Amazon. And then a few days before I left, a friend of mine, Corey, he had been a sales rep for this company. It was basically like Yellow Pages. They were an online business directory. And he called me up. I was like, Daryl, I just got promoted to CEO. And I was like, what? He used to run a satellite office in Kingston. The headquarters was in Ottawa. The company does like $1.4 million a year. And he was, I'm like, that's amazing. He's like, no, no, you don't understand. I've never done this before. I need you. When you get back from Japan, I'm putting you on retainer so you can be, like, you can be there for conference calls. And I was like, uh, okay, cool. Like, that's great. And he offered me 2500 a month. And I remember when I was in Japan, I was thinking about like when I was going to get back and how the fall was coming. And in the town I'm in, that's really the time, like September to kind of G- end of January is like when you fill your membership, you know. And then after that, it's a university town. <clears throat> so as the summer, as the year goes on, people, you know, finish classes or drop out and disappear and leave the town. And then they come back again in the fall. And I was uh, thinking about this. I'm like, wow, 2500 a month just for a few phone calls. I'm like, I'm in the wrong industry. You know, maybe I could have a bigger impact because I was, I'd helped him. I had a friend that had a flower shop. I had a guy, a mechanic that had a garage and all their businesses were booming just with the stuff that I was, you know, I was just friends, just helping them out with what I was learning. So when I came back, I, I, I used Google dictate and I did basically dictated uh, a bunch, a couple, two, three books. And uh, I had a friend who was an English teacher edit them for me, and then I threw them up on Amazon, and I did practice what I preached, the marketing, and I got, it was kind of a market test, too, to see which appeal, which hook people preferred, and one, Ancient Secrets of Lead Generation, your guide to better leads with less effort, started to take off, and I practiced what I preached, and I marketed that, and I got it hit number one on Amazon for the top 100 in marketing and sales, and then used that to... Uh, a screenshot of that to get on local television, radio, newspaper, and then I put together a group of uh, coaching, like a business, like a mastermind coaching group, and I had about five people into it. And then just as happen chance as a side shoot of what I've been doing, I got connected with John Asaraf, and he hired me for a project. I told him it'd take me 30 days to do it and another 30 days to make sure that it worked. And he hired me, and I finished it in three days, and I twiddled my thumbs for seven, and then I called him up and said, "Hey, I'm done." And he was so impressed. He had me do a, he was already looking to hire a marketing director and he put me through a battery of aptitude tests and behavioral, I don't know, tests. And they were already looking at some other candidates, but then I guess I scored really high. So he flew me down to San Diego and basically made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And it, it was enough that I walked away from the martial arts school that I had. I kept the coaching group. Um, but it's something that I could do from anywhere. I mean, like now we're doing this call with Skype. And that's kind of what kicked that off. And then when I was working for John, um, after being there about a month, things were really intense around the office. And John privately told me that the company was not doing so well and that if we didn't do about 150000 or a quarter of a million um, in that quarter, we were going to have to let everyone go or a lot of people go. And this was like October. And it's like Christmas is coming and just really painted this nightmare scenario. So I asked John, what's the most expensive thing you'd ever sold? And for me, my experience had been with brick-and-mortar offline businesses. You know, I, my martial arts school, I'd used kind of paid media online and social media and that to generate leads, but then you still had to get them in, you know, and, and sell them. It was still a brick-and-mortar business. Um, 
And so this is my first time working with a pure info business online around the world. And uh, anyways, he said he had a client once that paid him 25K for a day of consulting out of Australia. And I said, boom, we're going to sell some more of those. What else you got? And with the previous company he had, and went bankrupt, they had a, uh, an event called Cloning of Success. I was like, all right, you know, we talked about doing a business version. Now, a lot of this I want to say, like, well, I was the marketing director, but it was obviously, and I want people to know, when people hear interviews like this, it might seem like someone's so special or a magic troll. I mean, teamwork is so important for everything. I just want to be clear on that, that, you know, anytime I've had any success, it was always because we had a great team to support us. And I don't know how much, I mean, you see a lot of gurus on stage and there would be nothing without a team behind them. And I just want to preface that because I, I don't want to disillusion anyone that might be listening. So, but we did this, you know, this three-day business event, and we marketed it, and we generated a bunch of leads. We did about two hundred twenty thousand dollars in October, <clears throat> which was more money than I had made in a year at the time. And then after that, we had a, a launch that we already had scheduled for a thousand-dollar online course that John had. And uh, at the end of the day, we did about six hundred fifty thousand dollars with that which was 90, a 91% improvement on how they did with it the year before. And that was basically using tools like Ad Comparator that I heard about from you, Glenn. Um, oh, really? Yeah. You know, because I love that three that three element. Test. I don't mess with the other ones. The other ones, it complicates things. All of a sudden, you got 11 versions. But that three element test, it gives you four versions to put up. And you can do it You can do it with Facebook ads. You could do add to this landing page to this offer. Or, you know, so, like, so j- j- just for the benefit of the audience, um, Ad Comparator is a way of doing compressed testing. It's called Taguchi testing, um, where you can test a multitude of variables all at once. And it basically helps you get market intelligence faster on an empirical basis. And it's at adcomparator.com and it's free. Yeah, it's free. It's been down for the last two years. He just put it back up with like a new theme on it. So it looks a little prettier, but it just was a great tool. And so just things like that, that I learned and picked up and used in my brick and mortar business along the way, we did 91% better with that launch than they'd done in the two years prior. They, they apparently dropped the first year because the next year they did another one. And that was anyways. So we did that. And then I, for me, because I left a viable business that I had in Canada to come to San Diego and then being told that the place that I moved to and I, I got a moving bonus and stuff like that. But then to be told that the company was on the verge of, you know, going under, like that was a really like, you know, it's to, to relocate is a, is a bit of a big ordeal, especially to walk away from something, you know, a bird in the hand versus two in the bush. So yep. evenings and weekends, I really f- drilled into Jermaine Griggs is a good friend of mine. I really drilled into some of his automation stuff and things with Infusionsoft and database marketing. And I automated the launch that we did and made it evergreen. And then with a budget of $500 in Facebook and what I learned about ads and testing, we used that $500 budget selling a $1,000 course and basically scaled it up to where we were doing uh, $100,000 a week, uh, just driving them to people to sign up for an automated funnel. And well. that's, you know, and then, yeah, and so we scaled that. The company, and I was a little bit bummed out. I had a, so Think and Grow Rich is a book I think everyone must read. And I, one of the things that it has you do is write out kind of like your, your mission statement. And mine was, I will generate a million dollars in annually recurring net income by April 15th, 2014, I will sell ideas and information products, digital and or paper and ink, to provide large groups of people suffering from serious or urgent problems access to solutions from world-class experts. Using the T times C equals money formula, I will employ automated systems to generate leads, nurture prospects, make sales, fulfill orders, provide aftercare, and upsell, giving me a financially secure, long, happy, healthy, joyful, and wealthy life. And this was like my mantra. I would pop up on my phone and it was a reminder. I would recite it to myself. 
myself multiple times a day that this is what I was out to do. And I was a little bit bummed out because it was April 1st and I was making a ton of money. I was getting a commission on the stuff I was helping John make. But I personally was nowhere near a million dollars. And my friend was like, you know, Daryl, what about this evergreen thing you built for John? What, like, how much is that done? I'm like, you know what? You're right. And I went back and I took a look and I noticed that we'd done as a company, we'd done 3.5 million. Uh, in eight months, and that 1.6 of that had been from my evening and weekend evergreening this launch project. Um, and I was like, wow. And then there was a whole, like, be careful what you ask for, because <laughs> I did it. <laughs> but I didn't say I was going to make myself a million dollars. And, oh. um, right? So, and then money does funny things. We onboarded some people, and there was some office politics. And uh, my, my, for whatever reason, they felt that a 2.5% bonus wasn't fair and that a 0.5% bonus was more fair. And I just, I don't know any sales reps, uh, or anyone that was working on a commission basis that would accept a lower commission for smashing goals. Found out later right. that there's anyways, it's a long story, but money does funny things it, to people. It, 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 it's amazing how management thinks about that sometimes. Yeah. So I walked yeah. and then after that, I got a bunch of other clients cause John had been singing my praises to his, his net, his friends and family. Um, and I, I learned a lot from him and he, I have a ton of respect for him regardless of how things went. And so I ended up getting more clients and the same thing. I had another client she was doing around 20 to a hundred thousand a month and then an evergreen funnel. And now she's doing about 150 months. She got connected with Gary Henderson, who's an ad agency. And then last I heard they did, had a $600,000 a month. And, uh, recently my client now, Last year, she averaged 150,000 a month, and uh, last month, we just capped at 302,000, and that's collected. Last year, it was it was gross 150,000. This year, it was collected, paid after refunds and everything, 302,000. So that's kind of what I do now, and coaching, consulting, and then I put around. And I've got my own kind of products I do here and there, but I. I think I'm addicted to, as an entrepreneur, I'm addicted to having clients because I like the feeling of being that guy in Central Park that's playing eight games of chess at once. Like, I really, like, like my own project doesn't move fast enough to hold my attention. I like to have two or three going at a time, so. It's but, funny. Yeah, so. It's funny. Yoav, do you want to ask a couple of questions? I've been hogging the, the floor. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so many questions, but I'll ask a couple. I it's pretty apparent that you're a terrific storyteller. Oh, thank the you. stories are just oozing out of you. So my question is, how, how important are stories in the marketing projects you're, you're building? Well, I, you know, thank you. It's a great question. And I mean, I think, I think one of the best ways to answer that would be what at least what I've learned through being in a lot of the same circles uh, I know that Glenn got his education from is that at least with marketing, marketing, first of all, marketing is not quite branding and marketing is kind of event based. Yes or no, you know, like direct response marketing. Yes or no. But it also happens over time. So stories are really important because they help tie. Like when people think about branding, I think that's more the story. What's the story of your brand or company and what's the events that's going on? It keeps people enthralled. We watch all we were, every, every book is a story, you know, even, even the, unless it's like a textbook, you know, even a lot of the, like the, the, the how to stuff or the nonfiction stuff, mm -hmm. it tells the story of here's how I learned this and here's what it helped me do. And this is how you can do it. It starts that it's like the stories just glue everything together. Fiction stories, TV shows, uh, you know, like radio shows. I mean, they're, Stories are just a, such a huge part of life. It's how we've passed on lessons from generations to generations. 
Um, and I think it just it allows us to hold just like from a memory standpoint. If you hear a story of something, you can remember more details than if I just spit a bunch of facts at you. So it's really it's, they're really 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 important. Um, it just yeah it just the first thing it's it's a i d a attention interest desire action you know so you have to get people's attention with something and that might not like once upon a time might get someone's attention but it might not hit them as hard as like a benefit you know or as a guarantee or or strong pro- proof promise combination right if this doesn't mm-hmm. work you'll get you know if if blank then blank um but once you kind of get them in there, it's it is part of the story, and and people kind of like even a lot of these people listen. They follow you guys, and they've known you over time. I mean, your your relationship is a story that's been played out over time. It's a story that they're a part of. So, you know, storytelling is really important, um, really important. In a lot of different ways. It holds people's attention. It it conveys large pieces of information at once, and I don't know. They're just fun. There's just something magical about them. So okay. good. So. Second question: How important is mindset in success? So you, you started by talking about your mindset and how your past shaped your mm-hmm. current life. Mm-hmm. And from your experience with working with all these entrepreneurs and business owners, how important is, is the mindset? Yeah, even especially I learned a lot about mindset through martial arts and just like training different people and having different students. And I, you could give me two students with the same physical capabilities, the same amount of hours to invest in training and you know everything else being equal but one will have the have the confidence and the belief and the faith and the mentality that this is what they're out to do and nothing's going to stop them and the other one you know the other one cannot have that the other one can have a lot of uh, self-limiting beliefs a lot of parents or or other people telling them that you should or shouldn't do this or that's silly or that's bad or that's crazy or you know it's never going to work yet and you know and they're going to doubt themselves and and they're going to look for the first excuse to quit. Like that's, you know, like that's. There's a huge difference in that. You, I don't, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it, but it's it's almost like if you think about it, like fuel economy. Like a good mindset is like a really fuel efficient vehicle where you can go so much further on the same tank of gas. Whereas the other one, you lose so much in self doubt and worry and listening to other people's opinions who don't matter and getting distracted by things that have nothing to do with your goals. And so mindset's a huge part and it's, it's kind of a fuzzy, good, like squishy thing. And so I know sometimes I've heard people and they talk about mindset. I'm like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But that's because I feel like in some ways I've been benefited by being surrounded by people where, I mean, I still have issues still, and I will always have issues that I'm working on. But for some people, I think it's a huge thing. Like, especially even as an, as an employer, I have tons of employees like I have a rule, like you're not allowed to say sorry more than once a day because I'll have staff that come on. They're like, say sorry seven times. I'm like, stop staying sorry. Like there's no reason for you to say sorry. Like just, you know, like pick yourself up and move on. But that's a mindset issue, you know, and that's like a, like a confidence thing. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like, so mindset can be, yeah. it can make or break it. I think that's almost the best analogy. It's like a fuel efficient car. The better your mindset, the further you can go on the same tank of gas. And that tank of gas is resources that you have available, time, all that stuff, you know, if you have a better mindset, you'll be able to go further with less, with with greater ease, because you'll have less friction that you have to overcome. But what's the punishment if they say sorry more than once a day? Well, there's no punishment, but I just, uh, to be honest, I start, I start, um, I start looking for proof elements 
that they're confident that they should be confident in their capabilities and their abilities. Like that's basically it. If they start saying sorry more once, I tell them that you can't say sorry anymore. And then privately, um, I mean, there's thing public praise, private criticism. So I'll privately say, please stop saying sorry. And then I'll try to publicly, if it's like a, I mean, these are chat threads, but I'll try to point out things that they've done well, or, you know, and I just, I'll look for that. And I, I might even ping I other see. people on the team to try to build up, up their, build up their confidence. That's yeah. cool. So, yeah. yeah. But that all comes back into the mindset thing because without the right yeah. mindset, you know. So do you, when you take on a, a new client, do you screen them for mindset first? Mm, you know, that's a great question. And um, I do now. I mean, I don't screen them for mindset. It's, it's kind of more of a gut thing. Like I'll spend time with people. Um, even though, you know, I, I think in the beginning people are really eager to make a dollar, but once you've made a dollar or two and your rent's covered, you, you know, even Warren Buffett said he's walked away from deals because he didn't like the people. I've fired clients plenty of times, um, even when I didn't, couldn't afford to, because it's just, I don't, you know, I don't even care who you are. Even if you're Obama, I want to be treated a certain way and I want to be able to treat you a certain way. So you need to act with a certain level of integrity as well. So I think that's important. And Glenn, even you said that to me. We were talking about Ryan Levesque, and you said one of his uh, strokes of genius is he was really particular about client selection. And I think that can, again, you, Jim Rohn, the godfather of personal development, said you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you spend, most of us spend more time at work than anything else. Well, what, what, what I taught Ryan, which is what I teach everyone else who's got a professional practice of any kind, is that one bad client can ruin your practice. Yeah. It's a, you, re, you really need to guard your practice carefully. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I believe that more and more and more as time goes on. And uh, the right clients can just, I mean, they make life a joy and life a pleasure. And, you know, and again, the right team, the right people. I mean, all a company is a group of people out to serve another group of people suffering from some sort of pain point or problem, either through a product or a service. So it's always people together, working together to help other people. And just like you said, you know, one person can really mess things up. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yo, have you got more? Um, nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nope. <laughs> so, D- Daryl... What are you most hoping to accomplish at this time when you when you look at your company and the You know what I uh, do have one more. Okay. I'll come back to it then. Go ahead. Sorry. Um That's okay. So, you you are the evil twin, that's all right. Yeah. yeah. you know what? I'm not sorry. Devin just taught me that not to be sorry. I'm not sorry. I that's have right. question. That's true. Um so you mentioned the coaching clients, but you also mentioned the people you employ and you have obviously a lot of people. Um, what do you do with those people? What, what, what do they do for you? It's like not personal coaching, sure, right? Sure, they don't sure. coach. Sure, sure, sure. Well, as a team, I mean, I have an assistant. Um, I think everybody should have assistant, especially with the world as it is today. Um, and even like, again, the Philippines, that's where I got my first. I you know, was a new entrepreneur. I couldn't really afford it, but I had a mentor who told me, you got to get an assistant. So the person that I seemed to resonate most with was out of the Philippines. And that's where I hired someone, you know, for at the time, 400 Canadian a month was a full-time salary for them. So I have a personal assistant who helps with checking the email. I get two, 300 emails a day that someone's got to digest that and deliver them to me and 
you know, reasonable format. Uh, social media girl. I've got a girl that helps with setting up interviews uh, for me to be interviewed as well as interviews for my show because I always do a two-step screening process. The vast majority of people I've had on my show, I'd say about 90%, and we've done over 100 interviews, uh, are people that I know and have a personal relationship or like Glenn, I've, like, you know, Glenn may not have known me, but I've known him for a num- like number of years, like probably going on six years now, maybe, um, and followed him and seen his career over time, and I have a feel for his character. So there's, there's a, we have a bit of a screening process before we bring anyone on our show, um, and I've turned people down. So I've got her, I've got uh, two web people, I've got some audio engineers, I've got, what else do I have? I have a video guy who's kind of part-time, on-off, and then what else have I got? I'm trying to think social media I got a copywriter trying to think what else I've got you've got a copywriter bookkeeper Um, no copywriter right now is an intern out of the states it's a great site internships.com so uh, I'm really invested in people I really enjoy the coaching process of of taking people from one level and and it's got to be self-directed you can take a horse to water but you can't force them to drink so when people have a passion to get somewhere i'm really passionate about helping expedite people to get their results so i like getting people interns people that have a passion i actually as part of the interview process there's one of the things i did learn from john is there's physical income and psychic income and i go i i comb that site all the time for people who have a specific psychic income throughout to get internships.com they're just kids in university looking for internships so there's a girl who wants to be a phenomenal writer she wants to be able to earn through writing she wants to be able to influence people and persuade them and to, and to help people through her words. So I have her just handwriting, copying old sales letters that have been proven over time. I have her doing small copy projects. And then when I need her helping me with emails and, and sales letters and such. Um, but I still do any sales letters. I tend to do not all of it, but I do a large part of it because it's such a personal thing. And it's such a high leverage thing. Anyone that's listening to this, the sales letter is essentially, I mean, big for a lot of companies. When we talk about, like, if you're impressed that, you know, 650000 in sales and millions of sales, I mean, the biggest struggle a lot of companies have with scaling sales is scaling sales. Because if you're the sales rep and then you have to train someone to, to do you have to clone yourself and how do you do that and it's really difficult to do that every sales rep's going to try and do it their own way and their own devices and they're going to have good days and bad days but if you can write a sales letter and if you can write a sales video or if you can do a webinar if you can do an audio teleseminar which is learning to sell you know this could be the same one to one presentation but you just start to learn how to do it one to five one to ten one to thirty one to fifty you know and at this point now you know you can do it at scale and then with in the today's day and age, back before all this technology, they did it with letters. But if you can make a video out of it or an audio recording out of it, now you can scale that. And now you can put yourself at concert pitch, like your perfect performance in front of thousands of people. And Claude Hopkins in the book Scientific Advertising has a great quote that, you know, let the thousands tell you what the millions will do. And that's the power of testing. You know, uh, you test it on a few hundred, a few thousand people, a few hundred to kind of eyeball which way you should lean in. And then you put a few thousand people through and you start to get some real data. And then once you got that, I mean, that's you just start scaling it up and start trying to put in front of more people that match your audience. So... Sorry, there's a little bit of a side tangent, but I really think that's a powerful thing. That's because, a really good point. That's yeah. a really good point. Your, your sales letter is your business. Yeah. So for I know some people, they like they don't have time. I saw this on a, in a Facebook group. Some guy wanted someone to write his webinar script for him. And I was like, that's a really personal thing. I mean, they can help you with it, but if you, like, I don't, I don't know. 
You know, what I've heard that you can, you know, you can delegate everything, but the marketing and and the money. You don't have to count the money. You don't have to do all I, that. I mean, you you, but. you you can delegate the sales letters, but you got to find someone really, really good. And most people are not willing to pay for that. The, yeah. the sales letters that I've delegated um, that I didn't have to rewrite extensively, I, I've paid like anywhere between seventy five hundred and. I think as much as fifteen thousand dollars for, uh, and I and I understand why the big copywriters make that kind of money. So, uh, yeah. and and those were successful. Yeah. Um, the ones that really weren't, I, I, well, I you know, my my alpaca business. I, I think I spent a thousand dollars to get the first draft written, and it saved me a little time, but. I probably spent a hundred hours on it after that to, yeah, to fix yeah, it all up. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's just, it's so worth it, you know, people. Yeah. So anyways, I don't know where I was. I kind of forgot where I was at that, but I, for the listeners, I think that's a really powerful, like that nugget there. If you didn't know that, that is gold to find a way to leverage yourself and create a version of your sales presentation, your value proposition that will never get sick. It won't take days off and it'll run for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whenever there's someone ready to receive it. I mean, that's just a really powerful thing for a lot of people. And the business graveyard is littered with quality products and services that nobody knew about or didn't understand why they were world-class, you know, so. Yeah. True. Let's wrap yeah. this up, Glenn. Well, so the last thing I want to know, Daryl, is what you're trying to accomplish now. Like, what's, what's the next level for you and how do we help you get there? Well, to be honest, you know, my mantra now is I'm living a long, happy, healthy, joyful, and wealthy life surrounded by loving and supportive family, friends, and business partners. And that's really kind of my mission in the world. I keep a list of top 25 VIPs. You're on it, Glenn. I keep a list of top 25 friends. I keep a list of top 25 family members. And I try and keep in touch with everybody every 21 days. And I just, it's almost like what I said before, like, uh, now I generate millions of dollars in annually recurring net income for myself and my clients with ever increasing ease and simplicity. I sell ideas and information products, digital and or paper and ink to provide large groups of people suffering from serious or urgent problems, access to solutions from world-class experts using the T times C equals money formula. I employ automated systems to generate leads, nurture prospects, make sales, fulfill orders, provide aftercare and upsell, giving me this financially secure, long, happy, healthy, joyful, wealthy life surrounded by loving family, friends, and business partners. So really, I mean, the, the you're a bull in Montana. Pardon? <laughs> pardon? <laughs> you're a bull in Montana. Yeah, that's right. Basically. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm very, very impressed with your, um, with the purposeful mission that you're on and how organized and well articulated it is. And, um, I, I could take a lesson in copying you there because, um, obviously it's working for you and not only working for you from a like financial and business perspective, but it actually seems to have filled out your life's enjoyment and contentment. So I'm, I'm very, very impressed, Daryl. Thank you, Glenn. That means a lot. We, coming we from both you. are. Thank you. Both of you. I appreciate that. I, I, for me, like I said, I'm, I'm just trying to stick to my day-to-day living. And the best way to help is to try to help. Let's help some other people. Like, let's get this interview into some people's hands. Hopefully they benefit. Uh, if anyone's interested, of course, they can check out thebestbusinesscoach.ca or find me on any social media. But Glenn's got fantastic is that, is that, stuff. Is that the place, best place to get you at um, um, Coach? Yeah, I mean, you can go there and opt in and get on my list. Like most of my, you know, it's I always put my my personal stuff last. I'm sure everyone here can relate. But that's definitely where I update and keep that. Or just find me and follow me on social media somewhere. Um, you know, but again, I, I really am a big believer in just that perfect day because it's, you know, I came to this city. I'm in Cebu in the Philippines, and the 
taxi driver picked me up and my girlfriend up at the airport. You know, he's been driving cab for 25 years. And I was thinking about my perfect day. And I was like, you know, he doesn't need to make bazillions. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't need the grandioseness or the platform or the fans or the followers. Like, he's just got... He's got a way to make an income that pays his bills. He's got three kids. They're all grown up and gone to school. And if he could just live his perfect day every day and live in a place that was safe, you know, like, like, like what, what more do you really need at the end of the day? I just think there's just a lot of beauty in that. So, um, anyways, that's exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. Daryl, thank you so much for coming. Um, I really appreciate appreciate this. I hope that you'll come back sometime and, I would encourage everybody to go to bestbusinesscoach.ca and see what else you have to offer. That's awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your time, and I appreciate both of you. And, Glenn, thank you for the years of guidance and not even knowing how many lives you've affected, but keep doing what you're doing. You know, I just appreciate that. Thanks.